Good evening. There are going to be some papers coming to, to, uh, for you to be taking a look at, um, along with me. We're going to be working through some things here. Um, as you're receiving those, I would like to begin by reading from the scriptures, and you're welcome, this, this is not going to be on your sheet, so you're welcome to, uh, to uh, turn to this passage, it's Ephesians 4, and I wanted to read this because um, I've also, uh, as you have, had the privilege of uh, having our pastor continue to teach us what righteousness looks like, and I love the series that we're doing, I'm excited to be thinking tonight with you about um, how that applies to marriage, sexual holiness, sexual immorality. But um, I want to read this, just these couple of verses that I think he may have read to us and, um, and pointed out to us at the beginning of our, our series. And I can't even remember when it was, but it was probably last year sometime, right? Maybe in the fall he began, I can't remember, summer maybe it was. But um, here's the, here are the verses, uh, verses 20 to 24 of Ephesians 4. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There it is. It's that last phrase that I believe he was talking to us about and mentioned, righteousness and holiness. How do we put those two things together uh, as he was talking about it? So my desire tonight is is simply to to talk with us and to lead us in in, in thinking about uh, how does that look in marriage and in our our sexuality? Um, I guess it was 2013... Um, our denomination uh, decided that, well, in fact, it's in front of you. Maybe I should just read what's there. <laughs> okay. Um, below the verses, Genesis, the Genesis verses, uh, let me read this to you. It's on your sheet, page one. As a fellowship of churches committed to standing on the authority and life-giving truth of God's word, we have a responsibility to confront the encroachment of sin and its curse in the life of the church. As ambassadors of Christ, we are called to engage the sins of our broader culture with the life-restoring truth. In that culture, advancing sexual sin seems a cause of first importance. Liberating sexual expression, sexual identity, even sexual physiology and health from any authoritative restraint seems a primary tenet of our culture's mission of progress. And it is increasingly expected that the church will either join in the crusade or get out of the way. We feel that pressure in our churches as we tend to sexual brokenness and confronting sexual rebellion in our midst. As a result, the responsibility to clearly address sexuality with the truth of God's word and the power of his spirit is challenging, at times messy and urgent. The study committee on biblical principles for living and the, at, and the 130th BFC conference 
in 2013, saw the wisdom of reviewing our positions in regard to human sexuality and marriage. And so our study committee was formed and tasked with with addressing the following. What is the biblical definition of family? What is the biblical position on civil unions and same-sex marriages? Letter C, does the the biblical teaching about the creation of human beings as male and female allow for sexual identity that is different than a person's sexual physiology? And letter D, what does the Bible teach about seeking sexual gratification? And examples of this would be pornography, erotic literature, or masturbation. Again, these are the kinds of things that we were talking about, and I, I was actually appointed to uh, a study committee to work on, okay? Um, and uh, you see, there was a, this was a, an, I, I have a footnote here that the author of our report was, was Pastor uh, Joshua Miller, and he did a great job, I think, of, of putting together a summary or a, uh, an introductory statement about why we're doing this. Um, I don't think it's that hard to figure out if you're watching TV, if you're listening to, to media, looking at the things that are going on. I, didn't, I, I was debating, toying with the idea of actually putting a few things up on the screen in front of you, things that I've been looking at, I've actually been using when I've been, I've been teaching at um, Lancaster Bible College, but uh, things like a little boy who at age two um, decided that, that he didn't want to be a boy anymore, Okay. He wanted to be a girl, and so his family decided to help him do that. Okay, that that actually is happening in our culture today. All right, um, you know this that uh, in, in, as far as homosexuality goes, um, I was just reading a, 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 a little bit from a, a book and actually on a website this afternoon about um, this couple who uh, came together after being both of them in the homosexual lifestyle. They come together and they say, "We've changed." And we're, we're going to get married. And everybody was all excited about that. Well, this lasted about 12, 13 years. And now wife is still following Christ. Husband is now back in the lifestyle again. I mean, these things happen in our culture. We know people. You know people. Okay? And it's something that as, as, a, as a church, I'll say as a denomination... We wanted to think about, we wanted to talk about, we wanted to figure out how do we respond to this stuff. And what we're going to actually read tonight, um, along with the scriptures right beside it, are the things that we talked about as a committee and that, and that we desired very much to try to put in front of um, our denomination to think about how do we look at this righteously? How do we look at this idea of sexuality and uh, homosexuality and transgender and all kinds of other things in a holy way, in a holy way, the way God desires. So what I'm intending to do tonight is place, place these things in front of you. It's all right there on your sheet, okay? I'd like to read through this, and I'd like to make some comments as we're reading through. I think that, I think that um, what is here in front of you is a very good description or a very good summation of what we desire to, speak, to say and to speak in our denomination regarding marriage and, and human sexuality, okay? Um, I will tell you that uh, this particular, and if you're on page two now, this particular um, document that I pulled apart and that's in front of you 
is actually in the process of being voted on in our denomination. So, um, I was saying this to Jack up front here just before we got started. He's one of them that has has been a part of this because he's our delegate to annual conference as well as Pastor Brandt, Pastor Heller, Pastor Reed. They've all been a part of this and going there. Um, the, uh, the thought, the, what happens with this is we, and this is kind of the process, we put this in front of uh, pastors and delegates, and two-thirds of them have to vote in approval for it, and then it comes back again the next year for approval. And that's where we're in the, we're in the midst of it being approved the first time. Now it's going to be, need to be approved in, at the end of this month, uh, second time, and this will be a part of what is called the Biblical Principles of Living in, in, our, uh, in our denomination. Okay, it's a document that we have that talks about how we should live in this world. Okay? So that's what, you're, that's what we're going to be reading tonight. Um, you may say, this sounds like really dry stuff. I, I don't think it's going to be as we go through this. Um, and I want you to be thinking with me as you're reading this, um, and I'll try to make some comments about this. How does, how does this apply to you? I, I'm not going to have you raise your hands, but I'll bet every one of you in this room knows someone who either is in a same-sex uh, lifestyle, okay, a, homo, a, a homosexual possibly, okay, or maybe struggling with some other kinds of sexual sin, okay? We know them. Maybe some of us in this room are even, okay? That could be. And I, I want to encourage you to think about how can I take this and use this to help the, the people around me, okay? So... Let's start. Here we go. I want to go back to, uh, back to page one, just flip back over for a second. And the reason I put these passages here is because I believe, and we talked about these a lot in our, in our study com- on our study committee, these are essential for us thinking about this whole idea of human sexuality and marriage uh, and what does God say about it. I'm, d- I'm going to simply read it. I think you're going to know, because we've read these a number of times, this is a great place to go. Uh, we'll, we'll look at, at this later on. But Jesus says, this is the great place to go. He comes back here to talk about what marriage is all about. So, Genesis chapter 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then from Genesis 2. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for, that a man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not, a found, uh, uh, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone, bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Again, things we probably read hundreds of times. But I want you to, again, be thinking of it as we come to to take a look at this document and realize this is a great place to go. It says all that we need to say about this. You want to go talk to somebody about um, 
you know, their lifestyle. Here's where you can go. It, it really is helpful. And we'll, we'll see this as we go through this. So, again, back over to page two. I'm sorry, we're flipping around here. I guess one more thing I wanted to say, too. This, was, this is just a note for, uh, for, for some of you in our church. <clears throat> Had the privilege of working with Pastor Tim Zook on this. And some of the things that we're going to be reading tonight, um, he took part in putting together, too. And um, there are others as well. Uh, I don't think I put the names on here, but, oh, I know one of them um, that is near and dear to many of us in this, in this room. Jordan Eister helped us, too. He was a part of this as well, part of this committee. So Aaron Sussick as well. Dan Allen, we all know him, or many of us know him in this room. And uh, a, a, a gentleman by the name of John Hanner, who's an elder at our Saucon Community Bible Fellowship Church, uh, he, he, he served alongside of Pastor Zook when he was there. So um, those, are the, those are the people that were involved in, in this project, in this study, and uh, want to go right into or go, go to it now to take a look at it. So let's read it together. Well, not together, but I'll read it. You read along with me silently, okay? Um, here's the article that we are putting together. It's called Sexual Holiness. And uh, I'll tell you this. You'll see later on that we actually have another article called Sexual Immorality. That used to be called Homosexuality. We were talking specifically about the sin of homosexuality. We broadened it uh, to, to include other things that fall under the category of sexual immorality. Okay, um, But we desired, as we began, not to make it negative. We wanted to talk about the positive way to think about this. And I think, this is, I think it's a great title, Sexual Holiness. Our desire is to be sexually holy. Um, a guy by the name of Christopher Yuan, who writes a book, Out of a Far Country, actually says this. This is very interesting to me. Um, I don't know if it will be to you, but I'm going to tell you what I think. So um, He says that the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. The opposite of homosexuality is holy sexuality. I like that. That's a good way, I think, to think about this. That our desire is to be holy. And that's why we went with this, this title. So, here it is. 103-3.1. Sounds like I'm at an annual conference. Anyway, okay. A life of sexual holiness is a life lived by faith, believing that what God says about the purposes and parameters of sexual expression is both true and good. And you see that we quote from Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and then this, because we read this before, I'm not going to read it again, but then 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, you may have read that statement and said, well, Clyde, that's really simple. Sexual, life of sexual holiness is lived by faith, believing that what God says about the purposes and parameters of sexual expression is both true and good. It is. It's simple. And it was meant to be simple because it's good to start out simple. This is what we believe. This is where we start. Okay, And that's why we started there. Next statement. And by the way, the, um, I, I forgot to tell you this. All the underlying parts here are actually a part of the document that, that we put together. Okay? 
When a believer's thoughts and actions are not in conformity to the revealed will of God, they are to repent of their sin, submit to His Lordship, and pursue delight in what God has ordained. 103-3.2 The purpose of sexual expression has been given to mankind by His Creator. The sexual union between a man and a woman was created in part to image the unity of the Godhead and God's covenantal relationship with His people. And again, I'll read some of these passages to you in front, in, 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 or these verses in front of you. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Mark ten six six to nine. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Malachi 2, 14 and 15. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. And then 1 Corinthians 6, 14 and 19. And God raised, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. And Ephesians 5, 30-32. Because we are all, because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall live, shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now I read all those because those are the scriptures that we use to support this statement that we made up here. The purpose of sexual expression, that is 103-3.2. The purpose of sexual expression has been given to mankind by his creator. And that sexual union between a, between a man and a woman was created in part to image the unity of the Godhead and God's covenantal relationship with his people. And you see that in those verses. So this, has, this, this relationship, this marriage relationship, has importance to us, and I say this often even when I'm counseling, that um, we are made by God, okay, I'll use Lisa and I, to as one, and that is a very good way to think about the, the, the Godhead, right? Three who are one. And so to think about that, when, when Lisa and I, for example, are being the kinds of husband and wife that we ought to be, and you look at us, hopefully you see God in, in the way that we're un, united, the way that we're coming together as, as, as two 
And, and all of you know us. We're very different. Two very different people. But coming together as one. That's, a, re- that's a, great, a great thought. It's the way God made it from the beginning. Okay? So again, we're talking about the, what, is, what is marriage? Well, that's, that's, that's what it is. And here's the other statement that I think is really good here. And it, and it relates to how we address this with people around us. You'll see it here at the beginning. It's the first statement. The purpose of sexual expression has been given to mankind by his creator. I didn't pick Lisa. Steve, I'm moving around. Sorry, he told me not to move around. I move around too much. Um, I didn't pick Lisa. Although you say, well, yeah, you did. You looked at her and said, whoa, she looks good. Okay, I did. All right? But there's a, there's a, a very real reality that God put us together, right? We know that. We say that. And I, I would say to you, I think that's important for us to be saying in our culture today. Yes, it's true. I thought she looked good. I was attracted to her. That's true. But it really is about God's work in bringing us together. Okay? Um, he desires it that way. And he didn't desire me to, to, to go looking after a man. Okay? He desired me to look after a woman. That's the way he made it from the beginning. That's what we're talking about here. Okay? It says that right here in these passages. Okay. Next statement. Let's see. I didn't number them. So, um, in addition, it's on page three, okay, about near the top. In addition, sexual union was given for the procreation of children and for the mutual enjoyment of husband and wife. And again, you see it here. We know this. We've re- we, we, we've read this often, no doubt. But um, I'm going to specifically point to verse 28. God blessed them and God said to them, what's the first thing He said to them? What's the first commandment He gave them? Be fruitful and multiply. Okay? A direct reference, I believe, to a sexual union. We believe to a sexual union. And then from Song of Solomon, uh, verse 6, how beauti- uh, seven, verse, chapter 7, verse 6, how beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. And in the, in the Song of Solomon, we see Many statements like that that talk about how there's this, this uh, beautiful enjoyment, this pleasure between husband and wife. That, that's good. That's right. That it's the way it ought to be. Okay? Again, it's between husband and wife. That's important to see here. Okay? On we go. God created the human race into two complementary complementary sexes, male and female. This distinction is the first fact mentioned in connection with mankind being made in the image of God. And that one's, I mean, we've read it already. Why would we put that there? Any of you been on Facebook lately? Do you know how many genders there are in Facebook? 58. 58! Can you believe it? It's true. I've seen it. How many does God say there are? I hope you all say too. <laughs> That's what it tells us here, you see. These are the kinds of things that we're putting here on purpose because we want, we want our world, we want our church, first of all, but our world as well to see this, that it's two. God made it that way. Okay? Next. 
The first marriage, and thus the first sexual act, was a recognition, expression, and celebration of this complementary distinction. God designed sexual union such that two complementary sexual halves, one man and one woman, come together and become a sexual whole. The Bible refers to this sexual union as becoming one flesh. This one flesh sexual union between the first man and his wife establishes the pattern and standard of sexual expression for all of humanity. And here we use two examples of Jesus actually speaking about this in Matthew and in Mark. Matthew 19.4, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So Jesus is just reiterating what was said right at the beginning as Moses wrote, wrote, wrote down what's in Genesis. Okay? He's going back to the beginning to say that's the way it should be. Okay? And then Mark chapter 10, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. It's a declarative statement that Jesus makes there about this. Next, the participation in or promotion of any sexual act other than this one flesh union within the marriage covenant or the willful neglect of this sexual union is a sinful disregard of its intended purpose and fails to glorify God in our bodies. Let me read these passages and make comment on it. Um, First of all, from Malachi 2.14, But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you've been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Uh, then uh, from 1 Corinthians 6.20, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And finally, 1 Corinthians 7.2-5, to Because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. See, many times we talk about this idea of, and I'll read this again from the statement here, the participation in or promotion of any sexual act other than this one flesh union with marriage covenant um, per- it fails to glorify God in our bodies. That first part, we can think of that. Um, I'll throw out some thoughts, some, some examples. Um, if someone's looking at pornography, that, that's, that's, that's what this is talking about. If someone... Uh, commits adultery. If someone has, uh, and we will look at these passages uh, in just a little bit, but in Leviticus 18, where it talks all about sexual sins that Israel should not commit, if someone is doing some of those kinds of things, we say, well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's not good. That's not good. That's not good expression. It's not the right expression. It's true. It's not. But this is something as we were talking, I, I think, and, and this comes from the, the uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 2-5 passage, that it's also true that I am not to withhold 
um, from, from my wife, um, what I ought to be giving her, okay, as, as part of being her husband. And I'm, you know, I'm talking about that, the uh, physical uh, intimacy that, that ought to be there, okay? So I, I think we need to see both sides of that. I shouldn't go um, beyond the boundaries of the way God set it up, but also within the boundaries, I need to do it the right way as well, okay? That's, that's, that's what I would say. And we, we talked a lot about that, and that's one of the reasons we included this part of the statement here. So, <clears throat> all right. Sexual expression, again, on page four, near the top, sexual expression is authorized within the bond of marriage between a male and a female. God's name is glorified when the sexual union between a male and a female within the bond of marriage is honored and protected. You can probably guess why we put that there. Okay, let me read these. Flee from sexual immorality, every other sin uh, a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And then here in Hebrews 13, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Again, putting that there because um, there are some who would say, well, I can be, and, and you know, our, our Supreme Court has said it's okay, actually. Okay? Um, that that, that uh, a man can marry a man, and we can call it marriage. And what we're saying by this statement is, no, we can't. Not according to what God says. That's important, I think, as we think about this. Okay? Next. God is dishonored when his design for sexual union is disregarded and perverted, and he will not allow this perversion to go unpunished. Here's a passage from Leviticus. So, keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you, and never make yourselves unclean by them. And then this statement. And by the way, this statement is actually there. It's found in this passage in verse 18, or chapter 18 six times. You think God wanted them to know? I think so. And here it is. I, and, and us too. <laughs> and I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God, he said. Romans chapter 1. Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is forever blessed. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And then this passage from Jude. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and, and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Some would say, I think I'll use the name, a man by the name of Matthew Vines, who writes a book about the fact, and he's, he calls himself an evangelical, and he says that homosexual relationships within 
certain boundaries, he would say, okay, are okay. That's not true. Don't believe him. (laughs) Why? Not because Clyde says so. Because God says so. And that's why we put these things here, you see. There are people, even in the church today, who are talking that way. And my, that's, why, that's why I'm putting this in front of you. <laughs> okay? So, here it is. God does not desire it. He thinks it's an abomination. He will punish those who are doing those things. He will give them over. You see it in the passage in Romans. He'll give them over to what they want. You want to do that? Go right ahead. Here's what's going to happen to you. Next. In addition, sexual expression outside the biblical standard corrupts the ideal in human relationships and prevents human flourishing. I want you to see a couple of these examples. This is, these, are, these are ones that, again, you've seen. I want you to think of, it, think of them in this way. That when we are not doing what we ought to be doing, it makes things a lot worse. And we see the examples here from the, from the Scripture. 2 Samuel 12, 9 to 15. I'm going to read the whole thing because I want you to think about what's, what, what's happening here. Why have you despised? This is, uh, this is um, Nathan speaking to David after he's committed adultery with Bathsheba. Why have you despised the word of God to do what is evil in his sight? You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives from before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun of this son for you did it in it secretly but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun David said to Nathan I've sinned against the Lord and Nathan said to David the Lord has put away your sin you shall not die that's a great statement right in the middle of all this what do you see grace it's pretty cool okay but let's keep going nevertheless because By this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. You can see that, and I I didn't underline this on yours, but I underlined several parts here. Verse 10, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. Verse 11, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And then he gives an example of what's going to happen. Okay? Uh, verse 14, Nevertheless, because of, by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born in your house shall die. doesn't sound like flourishing, does it? sounds like destruction. sounds like chaos. sounds like his, his family is going to be put in upheaval because of his sin. So it corrupts the ideal in human relationships and prevents human flourishing. Then let me read this to you. This is in the midst of, okay, this is in the midst of the story of of, uh, Amnon with Tamar, his his, uh, step, well, his half-sister, okay? And, uh, And he has his way with her when he ought not to. 
And here's what it says about this. And her brother Absalom, that is Tamar's brother, Absalom said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother's, brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. I wanted to point this out in particular. You can see there's lots of problems with that. But as you look at, take a look at this, look at what it says about Tamar. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. Um, the word desolate there means to tremble or to make uninhabited or deserted. What happens when we sin sexually? These kinds of things. People are ravaged. Okay? It's, it, it's, and that's what we're talking about here. Okay? Sexual expression outside the biblical standard does these things. Next. 103-3.3. We don't end there. <laughs> there is hope in Jesus Christ for the sexual sinner. Not only for forgiveness, but also for transformation and redirection of life. The battle against improper sexual desires may persist until our weak and fallen bodies are raised anew with Christ. But the present resurrection power of the indwelling Holy Spirit enables the repentant sinner to overcome the controlling influences of sinful fleshly impulses. When a person comes to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, He is freed from sin's guilt through forgiveness and liberated from sin's tyrannical power by the Holy Spirit. Let me read the passages and I'll make a couple of comments. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 1 Corinthians 6.11 And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Galatians 5.16-25 But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then uh, actually one of my favorites when talking about this, Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training, that is, disciplining, 
educating. That's the word that's there. Educating, training, disciplining us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify us for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Some people in this world say, once an addict, once somebody who's done that, always that. That's not what this says. I think it's beautiful. I actually, um, do I have it here? I should pull it out and show you uh, if I have it here. I'm not sure if I brought it. Did I? Yes, I did. I don't know if you can see this. It's a title of a book that actually talks about what pornography is all about and, the, and the, the problem of it. Do you see what the title is? Finally Free. Can you be finally free? I would tell you, by God's grace, you can be. Why do I say that? Not because Clyde made it up. Because I read it right here. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I can be free from that. So, as you take a look at this, um, well, let's keep going. Here we go. 103-3.4. We are to approach all sin, including sexual sin, in the church with humility and sacrificial resolve. We need to recognize and convey that we are all fallen creatures whose present joy and hope lies in the result of Christ's persistent and tender mercy on our behalf. We need to demonstrate that same mercy with each other or with one another as we heal and grow together as rescued sinners into the, full, uh, into the fullness of Christ. In love, we must also exhort all who profess faith in Christ to obey His command and pursue His holiness in all facets of their lives. If that appeal is rejected and sexual sin persists without repentance, we must be willing to pursue loving discipline with the hope of restoring the sinner and guarding the life of Christ's body. And you'll see the passages here. I'll read, I'll read them quickly here. Um, Galatians 6.1 Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Proverbs twenty. I'm sorry, Romans 3, verses 9 and 23. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Proverbs 20, verse 9. Who can say, I have made my heart pure. I am clean from my sin. You know the answer to that, right? It's, not, it's a rhetorical question, but the answer is no one. Okay? without Christ. And Matthew 18, 15-17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the, by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. 
How do we approach? And I'm, by the way, we're going to end here okay, tonight. Um, the others you can read at your leisure. Uh, I, I actually should say this before I make a closing statement. That um, Appendix B, the last part of it, it's actually on the uh, back side of page 4. That'll be page 8, I guess. But um, I didn't number those. That, I think, is a great thing to take a look at. And um, it's something that we provided. Uh, um, actually, Pastor Zook and I worked on that together to, to put it together. We provided for churches to be thinking about and church leaders to be thinking about how are we going to address this? How are we going to address... Um, I just said this, I think it might have been to Jared this morning when we were talking about this. How are we going to address two men who someday... It could be next week even. Walk hand in hand through that door. And they're married. How are we gonna, what are we going to do about that? You don't have to answer that. It's good to think about. <laughs> this is, this is, this is uh, the Appendix B is, is put out to help think about that um, for churches. So uh, that's something to keep in mind. I want to end with this, though. I love the fact that we talk about, again, what's... What is, what is sexually holy or what's sexual holiness? Okay, that's what, we, that's what we're, we're putting out in front of you here. And um, I love the fact that even though we talk about it, the sin and the, the despair and the, the destruction that comes through those of us, well, probably all of us in this room, who do things outside of God's expressed purpose for us, there is still hope. And that's what I want to leave you with tonight as we close. That's why we put what we put at the end here. That God longs to see us be made whole. He reaches, He, he sent Jesus Christ um, to help us so that we can finally be free. Um, again, the passage I told you I love from Titus. Uh, the grace of God has appeared, it says. Who is that? That's Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about there. And he's appeared not only to bring salvation, he's appeared to help at least this guy, I think every one of us in this room who have sinned, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, an upright, and a godly life today. Not someday in heaven. Today it can happen. That's what I'm saying to you. I think it's very good for us to think about those things as we talk about what righteousness looks like in marriage and in our sexual relationship, or our relationships, and even in our sexual relationships. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege to, uh, to be with my brothers and sisters tonight, to talk about some things that are, well, they're, on the fr- they're certainly on the front lines, and they're on the edge as far as what's going on in our society. Lord, I thank you that, um, that you've given... Uh, men in our denomination, uh, perception and an understanding to be talking about these things and trying to put together um, what, what we ought to be thinking, what we ought to be doing and saying about these things that are going on. And I pray that as, uh, as we go away from here tonight that you give us wisdom, that you give us grace, that you would help us to apply these things to uh, relationships that we are having right now with people around us. Help us, Lord, to be, to be humble. Help us, Lord, to be merciful. Help us, Lord, to speak truth in love as we go from here. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.